Well, I welcome you back to the Bill Bennett Show. It's thoughtful conversation about the news of the day, and we address existential threats to America. My goodness, there are some. Mm-hmm. I, I tell you, I know what's happening in the country. We'll talk about it. <laughs> Joining me today, Brian Kennedy and Joel Farkas. Great team. Brian Kennedy is president of the American Strategy Group. He's also the chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger of China. Joel Farkas is the director of the American Strategy Group, and full disclosure, I'm a fellow at the American Strategy Group here in Washington. So it's an American Strategy Group session. Right. And speaking of present danger China, there's the whole China-Taiwan thing that we've got to... Unbelievable. On here. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Let's talk about life insurance mm-hmm. and policy genius. If someone relies on your financial support, whether it's a child, an aging parent, or even a business partner, you need life insurance. To provide properly for families, most people need 10 times the life insurance coverage that they can get through their employer. Now, how's it work? Policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. Why compare? Well, you could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. You could save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies. And get this. Eligible applicants can get covered in as little as a week thanks to an award-winning policy option that swaps the standard medical exam requirement for a simple phone call. This exclusive policy was recently rated number one by Forbes Advisor, higher than options from Ladder, Ethos, and Bestow. How does it work? Well, getting started is easy. First, head to PolicyGenius.com. PolicyGenius.com. In minutes, you can work on how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. When you're ready to apply, the Policy Genius team will handle the paperwork and scheduling for free. Policy Genius does not add an extra fee. Okay, get it done. Head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right and right from the start. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. Brian Kennedy and Joel Farkas. Gentlemen, there's so much to talk about. Um, I fear the country is in ruins. I fear this president is ruining our country. One thing or another, uh, gas prices are just one indication. Inflation, the invasion at the southern border, the, uh, the surrender in Afghanistan, the crazy bills they're proposing. I just... I'm, I'm, I've just never seen anything like it. You know, I think a lot of the country thought they were getting a, a buffer with Joe Biden. You know, good old Joe, nice guy, he'll calm things down. It's not what they got. It's not what they got. Any comment on that? Well, it's not what they got, but it, but because of human nature, they refuse to admit that they uh, they made a mistake. So not only everything you said is right, but, uh, you know, the people that a lot of the people that supported this uh this character um, just can't uh, can't can't bring themselves to acknowledging you know pesky facts. Is that true? People aren't acknowledging. People who voted for him aren't acknowledging. Not yet. It seemed to have turned. When on. you generalize, obviously his poll numbers are terrible. So some people are, but uh, the real true believers they 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 don't really care about uh, Joe Biden. They care about what they want, and they they he's just a he's just a vessel for for their silliness. Do they care about the country? Uh, not our country, not this country. They care about something else, but it's not this country. Brian, you want to pick up on that? Yeah, well, I, I think a lot a lot of folks, first of all, I think most folks, my, in my own judgment, didn't vote for Joe Biden. 
I think they voted for Donald Trump. And so I think we're going through a real confusion right now about what's going on. For a lot of Americans, they looked at, the, at on election night and they thought Trump was going to win. They saw all these massive Trump rallies and they thought Trump was going to win. And still being disputed today is whether or not Joe Biden won the election legitimately. And substantial numbers of Americans, I think it's 42 percent right now, think the election was rigged against President Trump. That's among, I think, all independents. And when you when you actually look at all numbers together, I think it gets over 50 percent think the election was rigged. So when we talk about buyer's remorse, a lot of folks don't believe from the get-go that Joe Biden has gotten there legitimately. And for everybody else, we're in this very strange period in our politics. We're vilifying the other side. It's just so commonplace nowadays. And so for a lot of folks, Donald Trump, who who actually did vote for Joe Biden, Donald Trump was portrayed as Hitler and all of his voters were portrayed as racist. And so if you're not a very political person and you hear that Donald Trump is Hitler and his supporters are all racist, you think you're doing your civic duty by voting for Joe Biden and you, you don't really scrutinize what his policies are because you don't really know what they are. You just know that the other guy is Hitler and my God, you can't vote for Hitler. And so when you look at, at Joe Biden poll numbers today, in some polls, his approval ratings are in the high 30s. You don't go from getting 81 million votes on election day to now being in the high 30s. That just doesn't happen. It means he never really had, even if people voted for him, he didn't really have big uh, approval from the populace. It was just that Trump was Hitler. Yeah. And so that, 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 that's part of our political crisis today, that, that even if, I don't believe this is the case myself, but even if Biden won legitimately, he didn't do so with either any kind of mandate or any kind of popular support for him and, for, and his policy. And that, that's a problem in a, in a democratic republic, even one that is as corrupt as ours is right now. Um, you used the word rigged. I saw this morning the release of the book by Molly Hemingway called Rigged. Have you had a chance to look at that? Uh, you know, I haven't yet, but I know Molly's work. And if, uh, if it's half as good as the things she usually does, it's going to be great. Yeah, so I'm well, looking forward. I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to reading. Yeah, we're gonna try to get her on here soon too, guys. I want. I had you asked for both of you to come on because I want to talk to you about China. Uh, really worried about China. Uh, I, I gather that President Biden is not worried about China. Uh, love your comment on that. Uh, what am I worried about? I'm worried about them and their hostility toward us. Their interest in taking over the world, Taiwan. Any any host of, any any number of things uh, come to mind. Um, Brian, why don't we start with you? Tell us uh, tell us how concerned we should be. You are chairman of uh, committee on the present danger, China. Um, still a present danger, worse than before. I think it is, uh, Bill, because the Chinese are are in a economic crisis of their own right now. Their real estate market is imploding. It's a very large real estate market. You have in China large numbers of people who, instead of consuming uh, the way Americans consume, instead they invest in real estate. And that real estate investment accounts for almost 30% of their GDP, whereas in, in the United States, it's around 6.5% there is 30%. And it's a, mar- a stock, excuse me, a real estate market that's debt 
piled on top of debt. And anytime you have a crisis that affects that sector, you have the threat of really having economic turmoil, both in China, but in the world more broadly. And one wonders whether in that crisis that is really underway right now, the Chinese don't do something provocative to distract attention away from their internal problems and perhaps focus on some kind of outside threat, not really a threat, but a an opportunity for them to take back Taiwan. Just on the debt thing, I, I want to turn to our real estate expert who's on, Joel Farkas. How, how does it get to be like that, Mr. Farkas? How, how does it get to be so large? Well, so when we talk about the Chinese real estate market, it's not like we're familiar with in the United States. This is, you know, in the United States, a big part of our real estate market are single family homes that people own. The Chinese real estate market is basically a hundred million apartments that are overpriced and, and, and built in cities of 20 to 30 plus million people. It is so easy when you stack up high rises within concentrated areas to massively overproduce and overcharge and then leverage whatever people are paying for those overpriced, overcharged apartments. It is nothing like we see in the United States, which is why it can get out of control so quickly because it's manufactured. These these massive cities, these massive urban areas are manufactured by the Chinese Communist Party. And they're manufactured so as to keep a large number of people close by under control? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and keep, keep them close by. And then, by the way, uh, all, the, uh, all the power that's generated, all the energy that's required by those people is controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. The food sources to feed people, the transportation sources um, to, to, for people to get around. These are all ways to easily control a very large population. You have, you have cities in, 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 in China now where people can't use, are, are restricted from using elevators because they're running out of energy and they don't have enough power in their grid to support what they have. This is, this is, this is concentrated communist planning that this is what happens to it when you have that. It turns into this. And this is a disaster. And, and, and Brian, back to what you were saying, because of this disaster, they may want to uh, point people's attention elsewhere. Is that part of it? Yes. I mean, you see, the, you see these kind of nationalistic tendencies in, among other, other dictators in the past. Things go bad, and so to distract away from the economic crisis, let's go enter a war. And you can see they're flying all sorts of sortie or sorties with their fighter aircraft over Taiwan these days, uh, 40, 50, 60 at a time, being very provocative to the Taiwanese. And the Taiwanese so far have not taken the debate, uh, taken the bait, excuse me. And, but one wonders whether this is simply a distraction or is China really going to use this moment in history? to try to take back Taiwan by force. And so I, I could see that happening just given all the economic crises you see in uh, in the PRC today. I was listening to General Keene, Jack Keene. You may agree or disagree, but he said he thinks that's exactly what China wants to do, but not for a year or two uh, because I guess some big Chinese Congress is getting together, and that's a big event, plus Olympics. Uh, so uh, whatever their plans on, they they may put that off. 
but in terms of the long-term intention or medium-term intention, uh, intention, it's certainly to take back Taiwan. So Brian's point about the changing dynamics of China, again, using energy as an example, several months ago, uh, China you know, put um, Australia in, the, uh, in timeout because Australia criticized their, some of their policies. Today, China is now back almost begging Australia to start selling them coal again, because Australia is a major coal producer, and China is the single largest user of coal in the world. They use more coal than every other country in the world combined. So almost instantaneously, because of these crises, China has modified their internal policies. I see. I see. So we're, at the, we're maybe at the boiling point there. Is that what you guys are saying? Yes. Uh, look, I, I think uh, here's the one thing. It, it makes no sense for one nation to go to war, say, over Taiwan, right? On paper, going to war almost never makes any sense. But history is replete with dictators making bad decisions and getting their countries into war. So it wouldn't be completely ahistorical for the Chinese to do something like this. The problem is most Americans don't realize just how strategic Taiwan is. It's not just that they're a democratic experiment and free government in Asia, along with Japan, but it's a place where strategically it is mission critical to the United States, the freedom of Taiwan. And again, it's not just because we have a Taiwan Relations Act, but because so much of the semiconductors, small semiconductors, we use in so many of our, you know, computers, cell phones, cars, you know, all sorts of electronic appliances, televisions, et cetera. Almost 92% of the small circuitry that gets produced and put in these comes from Taiwan. Some people have called it Silicon Valley West, right? If you keep going, or Silicon Valley East, however you want you want to think about it. But if you just if, if, if China took over PRC took over Taiwan, they would have a stranglehold on that, and that would destroy. That would give them the ability to destroy the U.S. economy anytime it wanted to. And these things are not easily reproduce these factories that produce these small circuits and chips, it would take a decade or more to get fully up and going. And it's partly a scandal that we've let that happen already. I mean, there are many, there there are many scandals in U.S. China policy. The two big ones is that we've allowed in Taiwan, a democratic ally, we've allowed all that circuitry to be put there. And we can make this, in the United States, if we set our mind to it, that's one. Of course, the other scandal is we allow a lot of our pharmaceuticals to be made in mainland China. So if you combine, if China took over Taiwan by force or co-opted them somehow and took them over, we would have all the electronic, all the key chip making that we need to run our economy controlled by the PRC, and we'd have all of our medicine controlled by the PRC. Good place. We uh, would be place. in a we, we would be in effect a battle state of the PRC because so much of our daily lives are dominated by medicine and electronics, pure and simple. And the idea that we have put ourselves in this place is a scandal of epic proportion. Every single thing that Brian just 
described requires a massive amount of energy to produce and manufacture and distribute. And that's why energy, I mean, we're, we're witnessing this all over the world, very high gas prices, very high fuel prices, very high oil prices. This is, this is dominating the headlines almost every single day now. And, and the, the, the question's always, how did we get here? Well, it, it's quite simple how we got here. Um, we have, I mean, Europe is basically now supplied by Russia. Their, their natural, there's two ways Europe supplies their, their utility grid, coal and natural gas from Russia. Those are the two dominant ways they supply it. Russia has, in the last several months, uh, filled up their stockpiles. They've reduced the amount of gas flowing to Europe. Prices are going through the roof. Europeans are, are hysterical about it. And yet, Angela Merkel says, you know, it's not Russia's fault. It's not their fault because the contracts Russia has is are what we call in the industry a spot contract. There's not long-term take-or-pay contracts. Russia is using this crisis to force Europe to enter into lengthy take-or-pay contracts which they've wanted to do forever so they can control the production and the manufacturing of an entire park. And this is happening under our eyes. And it's the same sort of thing that's happening with the, with the, with Chinese control of production of pharmaceuticals and, and, and chips and technology. This, all this stuff is happening currently right now in the world. And we have an administration and actually a bunch of elected officials that just seem oblivious. Uh, just well, to I mean, just to backtrack a little bit, I just want to be clear. I mean, we we had a part in this too, right? We were energy independent, had a lot of energy. We were exporting it. Uh, we're not anymore, and yet uh, President Biden is urging OPEC to produce more. We shut down, uh, you know, oil pipelines, but approved the <laughs> pipeline in Germany yeah. and Russia. This is really kind of crazy, isn't yeah. it? It's not only uh, the current administration. The state of Colorado, for instance. The state of Colorado, which has a, 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 the DJ Basin, it's a very significant um, oil and gas producing basin in the United States. Um, the governor of the state of Colorado uh, basically uh, instructed the, oil and the Colorado Oil and Gas Conservation Commission to change all their rules and to modify it, which basically meant they're not, they, did not, they did not approve any new permits for drilling. I, this is almost an unbelievable statistic. But in the first 10 months of 2021, the state of Colorado approved two permitting units. Two. Two in the state. This is what happens when the United States, this is how the United States uh, decimates its own internal production of fossil fuels. And it's purely because of an ideological bent against any kind of fossil fuel whatsoever. Two in the state of Colorado. That's almost unbelievable. Let me just add to that. In those other things you were pointing to, Bill, this is the Biden administration making a, a conscious decision to limit the production of oil, gas, and minerals here in the United States in order to punish the American people for using fossil fuels and to advantage some of our worst enemies and their production of such oil and gas. Uh, I don't want to speak for Brian, but I'll speak for me. It is an ideology against anything to do with fossil fuels whatsoever, anywhere, anyhow. Well, not anywhere. I mean, it, not in Europe. Well, like this, the state of California, for instance, pretty much whether it's Germany and Europe or other places or the state of California, um, they are finding that they don't have enough energy production to handle their utility grids. 
Right. So what does the state of California, what does the state of California do? They restrict and eliminate any new natural gas powered uh, plants. However, they need the energy. So instead of allowing and allowing a new natural gas which is more efficient uh, plant to be to be built, they call the existing ones powered by natural gas quote unquote temporary because they need it, but they don't want to be painted with the brush of allowing a new one to be built. What do they do in Germany? They eliminate nuclear power plants. They still need the energy. They buy more coal. I mean, this is this is this is just nonsensical. But it's it's actually perfectly sensical if you're an ideologue elected official. Ideologue elected official opposed to fossil fuels. Right. Uh, I mean, look, look. I, either they're ideal. I, mean, I, I, I agree completely with Joel. I think it's a combination. It's either they are ideologically so blind to what's really going on and are willing to destroy the U.S. economy and punish the American people for their ideology. They're either that, or they are in in the forgive me the pocket of a foreign country and are doing their bidding rather than that of the American people. It's one or the other. It can't be both. Who would, who, to, the, to the latter point of Brian, why in the world would the United States be purchasing all these goods from, let's say, India, China, and other places whose pr- prom- predominant source of energy is coal and ship it across the, the world and have 60 to 80 container ships waiting in Long Beach and L.A. Harbor to drop it off? Why would we do that instead of producing these things here? Well, by the way, I think I misspoke. They can't be ideologically blind and in the pocket of a foreign power. Yeah, it can be both. It, yeah. be, it, 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 it really can be both. Because why else? I mean, this really does make and there's one, sense whatsoever. There's one more component. There are some in that, in that group that think it's really a good idea to charge, to have prices for natural gas and, and, and fuel skyrocket. Because then they can say renewable forms of energy are more competitive. Let's go back to Taiwan. Um, does Taiwan have a nuclear weapon, Brian? Uh, you know, uh, I doubt it, frankly. I mean, it's possible. People have always wondered whether, whether, for instance, Japan, which is not supposed to have one based on its post-World War II treaties that it signed and other agreements that it entered into, that it didn't have it, that it would have purely defensive weapons rather than offensive weapons. People don't know, but they, they speculate. Same would be true of Israel, for instance. People wonder about these things. But uh, in a way, the, uh, the question of whether they have a nuclear weapon is only partly interesting because I think a lot of what the Taiwanese could do to defend themselves may be something more radical than using a nuclear weapon to presumably use it to deter or attack communist China. They might use weapons to destroy their own country, many have speculated. Because if it if it's Taiwan that communist China wants, if you're if you're Taiwan, you would want to deprive communist China of that prize. And so people have speculated they would destroy the, the Taiwanese themselves rather than having the communist Chinese take over their country would destroy their infrastructure and destroy their, their semiconductor industry themselves rather than turn it over to communist China. And by the way, there are also people in this country who have said pretty clearly, we simply can't allow that semiconductor industry to fall into the hands of the communist Chinese, and we would destroy it if, if the Taiwanese didn't destroy it themselves. That's how strategic that semiconductor industry is. 
Now, when you get to the point where you're talking about internally destroying the country and destroying the basis of our modern economy, i.e. advanced electronics this way, we're in a very dangerous situation in this country and one that our policymakers have not prepared for, that our generals have not prepared for. And so America under Joe Biden has never been in a worse place strategically. President Trump was working very hard to correct some of these things, only got part of the way there. And now with Joe Biden, all the good work that that the Trump administration had done has evaporated, essentially. Brian, you had just talked about uh, the, the Biden administration. Is there anything we can actually trust this administration to do that will put America in a better place uh, with China and just internationally as a whole? You know, uh, the, the Biden administration intellectual framework is a globalist framework. And so that globalism prevents them from doing the kind of things that make the United States the kind of secure, you know, defended country we want it to be. They have rhetorically been tough on China. They have, you know, I, I think in a way worried that even they could go too far in their obeisance to the communist Chinese. And so whether it's using the American Navy as a way of interposing themselves between Taiwan and communist China or rhetorically doing things that would suggest that we're not going to tolerate certain other behavior. I do think that, that, you know, the Biden administration can, can do certain things, but they haven't done certain things. And they, they for instance, made this agreement with Australia to sell Australia American-made nuclear submarines, basically pushing out the French who were selling them submarines and selling them American submarines. A lot of people touted that as a good agreement, but I, I, I don't actually trust that the Biden administration will do that in such a way that wouldn't alienate other allies in the region, including India. And you see that the, the Indians, which are also a very important ally of the United States, mm-hmm. they seem to be cut out of the loop here vis-a-vis communist China, especially as you know, the United States withdrew so badly from Afghanistan, giving over Bagram Air Force Base, I think essentially to the Chinese. That, that was a real blow to U.S.-Indian relations because the Indians will see that as a base of operations that can be used by the Chinese against India. So there's really, there's really so many negative things that the Biden administration has done that uh, I, I, I don't know whether they can get this right. Hmm. And that, that's interesting because, you know, obviously it will just be a matter of time, Joel, before we start to see, you know, a domestic effect. Have we begun to see the domestic effect already? Uh, or, or what do you think will be the tipping point to where we start to see things that affect what we see here at home? Well, I think economically we haven't physically seen it yet, but I think everybody who's has their eyes wide open is watching all watching the, the state of our economy very closely. Um, I would add, you know, not just the administration. You know, our financial our financial structure in this co- country. Um, there's a couple of things that they do that are complicit to help the regimes that, that Brian's talking about that you're talking about. Um, you know, one thing is uh, is kind of you hear all the time a public company has this ESG environmental social government um, construct. What that means is stay stay out of any kind of fossil fuels whatsoever, which is basically a very simple administrative way to decimate any kind of energy production in this country, which means all the energy production goes to our adversaries. 
is produced by our adversary or our adversary. That that's one way that people are in our financial groups are are complicit. Um, the the other the other thing is is that um, you know when if you're a public company, you're going to promote your business activities and these quote unquote supply chain um, uh, 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 constructs to all these other places all over the world. You're not going to ever say. Um, let's move it away from there and bring it back to the United States. You just won't. And so we have a, we have a, a, a and then the third thing is, is this, you know, we hear about this three and a half trillion dollar package that the, the Democrats are trying to pass. Every single Democrat ran on the, on the idea that we're going to take, we're going to tax the rich. We're going to make them pay their fair share. And we're going to cause them to pay for all these social programs. Well, the one thing that they, every single one of these Democrats ran on, was this carried interest um, exemption for hedge funds when they it, it, it's taxed at a capital gains rate instead of ordinary income rate? Mm-hmm. That particular item doesn't even exist. It's not even compromised. It's out of the three and a half trillion dollar bill. So somehow our financial institutions, our, our private equity funds, and our hedge funds got to every single elected official, and you don't even hear about it anymore. And I've, I have personally spoken to some of these elected officials and asked them why, and their, 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 their response is, is Orwellian. But though we, it's not just the administration. It is our financial institutions that do a lot that support some of these, these bad, bad things that are occurring right now in this country. Was Donald Trump doing something about that? Yeah, I was doing something about every single one of those things. I don't think he realized the extent of the lobby against him when he was trying to do something. A lot of ironies here. Um, I mean, this whole hostility to fossil fuel and coal and China. What did you say, Brian? China produces and uses more coal than all the other nations of the world combined, right? I, yeah, I, that, was, that was me. And it was you. Yes. There's 182 plus or minus nations. China uses at least 50, a little bit more than 50% of the world's coal consumption. And, and it India does, isn't too far behind. And it doesn't hesitate either to use uh, fossil fuels whenever they're available, correct? Uh, no, and nor does Europe. I mean, Nord Stream 2 pipeline is going to be filled with gas pretty soon. The entire continent of Europe who lectured us on the Paris Climate Accords is now going to be dependent on long-term take-or-pay contracts from Russia. Will the United States defend Taiwan if it's attacked by China? It's very likely to, but the defense of Taiwan is not an easy thing to achieve. That if the communist Chinese really, really dug in their heels and, and went to nuclear weapons, then we, you know we haven't nuking, had it. We, you mean nuking Taipei? No, probably nuking with American aircraft carrier. Ah, I mean they know where they know where our air, air, aircraft carriers and and strike force groups are. And so they they would certainly use a nuclear weapon to attack them. I think it's possible that if they did go to, if, if there was a conflict over Taiwan and the communist Chinese were serious, they're very likely to attack American bases in Okinawa and other parts of Japan, uh, those strike force groups, and it would be a war. So when we talk about those kind of things, you know, what is the psychological effect on the American people to lose an aircraft carrier? 
have that on the evening news. I mean, the, the point is, yes, we, we can talk about these things and America's going to fight back, but we don't have a national missile defense, for instance, here in this country. And so China takes Taiwan very, very seriously. We would, They take it as seriously as, as I, w- I would offer as we take Hawaii. And so if someone threatened to take Hawaii, would we go to nuclear war over that? I think we would. So if, they, if they're fighting, if the communist Chinese make a decision to take Taiwan back by force, they would have made all the calculations that said, when this happens, this other thing's going to happen. So if the United States wants to put its aircraft carriers there and fly sorties, we're going to destroy that aircraft carrier. Where else can these aircraft fly from? Well, they can fly from Okinawa. Great. Destroy that, too. Well, sure. And so war is, not so, war, war is not something to be trifled with, is, is all I'm saying. And so we can talk about defending Taiwan, but we don't have the means to defend Taiwan. And everyone talks about how good the American military is. Let me just tell you, I think the the communist Chinese military is probably pretty good as well. It's been 50 years since America's fought a pure competitor. And the Chinese have aircraft that are of the fifth generation that are very sophisticated. They don't have as many as the United States, but they do have nuclear weapons and they may be prepared to use them. And because of our feckless leadership in this country, we don't have a national missile defense. We have an inadequate number of naval ships to deal with this and an inadequate number of aircraft. And so we are we are today ill-prepared. But there's a strike on American bases and American ships and American aircraft carriers. We will have to strike back. We will have to retaliate. Now, whatever the fecklessness of the president or the limitations of of having no missile defense, we would have to fight them, correct? Yes, that would be the logic of, of deterrence. But we're, we're, we've, we've entered an age where logic doesn't prevail, does it? I mean, we say these things as if it's just an absolute. But other nations produce nuclear ballistic missiles to, designed to destroy the American populace. Ronald Reagan made a moral case for building a national missile defense so that that could not happen. And that was in 1983. Here we are today, and we don't have that missile defense because the American left believed that it was wrong to build it because they do not want a strong America. They do not want us defended from Chinese or Russian or Iranian or North Korean missiles. So the missile defense we have today is very rudimentary and primarily symbolic. We are not serious as a nation today about our national defense. We just had several Democrats vote against the Iron Dome, a defensive yeah. system. Yeah, in Israel. And they cried yeah. about they, they cried about it because they had the vote they voted it was passed to allow a defensive protection of a country. The only reason you would cry over that is because you don't want that those people to exist. And let's be clear, they're anti Semites who want the destruction of Israel. Sure. sure. We don't need to sugarcoat this. Sure. That's who. That's who. That's who much of the American left is, and there's a substantial part of the American left that actually hates America. They don't put it that way, you know, except for rare occasions. But the logic of everything they're doing today is anti-American. Ben and Jerry. Ben and Jerry were just interviewed last week because they are boycotting selling their ice cream to Israel because they don't agree with uh, his, his right. Israeli policy. Right. The reporter asked Ben and Jerry, well, you don't agree with, uh, you know, uh, a lot of the southern states and their abortion policies. Why don't you stop selling ice cream in Georgia and Texas and other places? And they were actually caught flat-footed. They didn't even know how to answer that. 
they actually uh, they actually um, are just exposed once again as the American um, as the American left, the very wealthy American left, is just being patently hypocritical. All right, look, you're smart and engaged guys. You run this. Uh, you're chairman of uh, the committee on the present danger, China, Brian, Joel. You are international figure. You're having these conversations with people financial people around the world. Uh, you're invested in all sorts of companies. You run all sorts of things. Given a hostile environment, a very weak and I suppose hostile president and Congress, what can we do? What can we do to move the ball in the right direction? We've last 30 minutes has been discouraging in terms of what's going on in the world scene. What can we do other than think about reelecting Donald Trump or somebody else or you know, somebody whose views are closer to the views expressed by you two and by me and Claude. Look, we can engage politically. The mistake is thinking that there are grown-ups in Washington who are going to bail us out, that there are congressmen and senators today in Washington who are going to save us. That's not going to happen. The, the Republican Senate has too few fighters in it. The Republican House has too few fighters in it. And so... Our, our salvation is not going to come from those people. It's going to come from making sure that in 2022, we have free and fair elections and can elect good men and women to high government office and then to work with them to make sure this country is defended. And that will require, it seems to me, taking this country back village by village and realizing that in politics, it's slugging it out every day. There's no one single thing that you do. It's making sure we have better men and women in office who are willing to fight. Today, we have too few. And until we do that, first off in 2022, and then if we can achieve that in 2022, we will be in a position to hopefully have a free and fair election in 2024. And I would say, as much as I'm for Donald Trump, transparently, I'm a, I'm a Trump guy. It's also the case that Donald Trump is not all by himself our salvation. That Donald Trump, at best, could be there four years, and then it's going to take somebody else. And so cultivating the next generation of political leader who believes in freedom, who believes in the Constitution, and is willing to fight, that is an extremely high priority. I think we're in a revolutionary period in American politics, where everything that we've been comfortable thinking for the last 40 years, you can almost throw all of it away and look at our condition anew and figure out what is going to be required to stop what looks to me like an attempted communist takeover by all the woke communists within this country itself. How do we stop them? And all the old ideas of the past about tax cuts and and school choice, as however desirable they may be, that's not going to win the day. We have to find new arguments speak to more of the American people and find those men and women who are willing to defend the country to elect to those offices, both high and low. In the Congress itself, you have fighters. Who are they? Andy Biggs, Jim Jordan, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gozar, Tom McClintock, you know, Gary Palmer. There, there are some great guys there, great men and women. You know, there's, there's you know, on the Senate side, Ted Cruz, however, however unpopular or popular he may be, he's fighting. Josh Hawley is fighting. You got guys running for office like J.D. Bam, you know, Tom, articulate Tom guys Cotton. who can make arguments. Tom Cotton, you know. So Tom Cotton, uh, the 
con- con- I'm sorry, uh, Congresswoman from uh, Florida who beat Donna Shalala. I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Maria She's, Salazar, uh, I think. Yes, brand new, understands what it's like to live under totalitarian regimes, yeah. under communism, under fascism, um, has a, a moral compass that freedom and liberty in this country are ideals that are worth saving. I tell you who who, who will to pick up uh, pick up on what Brian was saying. Let me. I can start with who will not help us. It will not be our uh, most of our current elected officials, and it will not be anybody in the financial world who likes to whether it's the Fed or 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 uh, Wall Street or the like who are supposedly out there trying to quote unquote uh, have a free market capitalist. Uh, construct. None of those people have any interest in any of that kind of uh, any, any, any of that kind of thought. So we, we can start. We can start. We can start with who will not um, help us. And, uh, and I think. And I think. And I think Brian is completely correct. We need to forget about the things that uh, people who like freedom and liberty. Um, you know, these certain policy items that may or may not be helpful. They probably can be, but are they? We are dealing now with some issues that are so substantially more impactful than those other issues. This is really a, a, a battle for survival. These are bigger things than uh, I normally am involved in. But I w- I'm just wondering, do you think this engagement of parents at the school level and the school board level portends something positive? Yeah. They, you know, what's What's more, uh, what's more positive than protecting your child from, uh, from abuse and from uh, 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 crazy ideology? That, that's exactly what a parent is supposed to do. That's yeah. why. That's why. That's why people have kids. Yeah. Someone said today um, that if you uh, were trying to uh, burn down a federal building in Portland, you would not be suspected as being a domestic terrorist. But if you challenge a school board member and threaten to take their job away, you might be. That's an upside-down world, huh? So I'm in, in meetings, uh, you know, uh, every week, and I'm talking to people who are on the other side of what I think. And every once in a while, as they push me into some sort of a argument they want to be into, I, I ask them, you know, you've known me in many cases 20, 30, maybe 40 years. Do you really think that because I think the way I think I'm a domestic terrorist, do you yeah. think I'm a fascist? Yeah. You think I'm you think I'm ignorant? Do you think I smell funny when I go into a certain store? Do you think you really think all those things about me because you and your ilk characterize me as such and characterize people that I'm close to as such? Yeah. Yeah, it has come to that look, point. Look, yeah, well look Bill, the uh what have we done in this country but weaponize the FBI and the Justice Department? against the American people. Yeah. We've created this we've created this label of domestic terrorist to account for anybody who disagrees with the regime. And so I don't care what the issue is, you, you know, if you disagree with the orthodoxy, you're a domestic terrorist and the government then has a right, it thinks, to investigate you. And if it's a mom going to a school board meeting objecting either to critical race theory or transgender policy or whether her child, little child, is going to be vaccinated, to warrant the charge of domestic terrorists is more than outrageous. I'm reminded of our late friend Angelo Cotavilla, the great scholar, who would often, here's a very learned man, he would often have this simple analysis when it came to these things. And he would say, who in the hell do they think they are? 
which is a very American kind of response when the government gets this way. Who in the hell do they think they are calling the American people domestic terrorists for wanting to protect their children? We've had a kind of parade of miserables and 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 problems and and not diminishing them at all. They're serious. They're deadly serious. Uh, you guys think this is present time is the greatest threat to the republic since uh, since it's been established? I do. I, I think I think we've never been in a period that has been so precarious. When the Constitution has had such little respect, when elite thinkers on the on the right have had such little power, and when the American media has been concentrated so that the amount of information that gets out to Americans is so limited. Unless a person's really looking for things like this podcast and, and a few others, they're not going to get this in mainstream media. They're not going to hear this parade of misery and suffering that the American people are going through. They're just not going to hear that. That alone is a very dangerous thing when information gets so concentrated and there's so much censorship and deplatforming going on in social media. That's, that's one of the real dangers. Yeah. And you wonder just how long you can keep the union of the United States together when you have all these people who are being marginalized and, and in a way dehumanized by, by the government for believing certain things. But one good thing, right? And, and I want to get Joel in on this. One good thing is this thing isn't going I down. Hear the one, I, want to hear the, I want to hear the one good thing. Well, this thing isn't going down well with the American people popularity of Joe Biden is you know sinking despite all of this and the media cover up and all the other stuff he's sinking like a rock people don't want this what's happening and there's a is there's this specific and that specific there's a general feeling of what the hell did we buy here to Brian's to your point and Brian's point about the media uh, you know using energy as an example last week the uh, IEH came out with a report they do, they do it every year this time of year about uh, you know CO2 emissions and climate and they literally came out and said in the year 2025 which is 3 years 3 4 years from now if all countries adhere to their pledges to reduce CO2 emissions the CO2 emission fossil fuel consumption CO2 emissions will start declining in the year 2025 now we know that's patently absurd because we everywhere in the world India China Germany Europe everyone is using more coal, more kinds of fossil fuels. For the last 40 years, fossil fuel consumption has, uh, that, that powers the energy in the world is stayed constant at 80% of the fuel source for all energy. And yet, splattered across the headlines is this international agency trying to tell everybody we're making progress on whatever it is they think is yeah. progress. And it's just, it's just you know, when, when people went to college and they were in the English department, Generally, the ones who were the least able to be writers or poets or any other kinds of philosophy in the English department, the easiest thing they could do is get into journalism school. Yeah. And that's who we have now um, uh, you know, out there, the, 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 the bottom of the English department. It's not going down well with the American people. They're not ready for no, socialist takeover. Right. No, you're right. I mean, Brian says it um, well whenever we are talking formally or informally. There's 150 to maybe 200 million people in this country alone who still seek and admire and pursue freedom and liberty. Yeah. I'd rather be us than them. 
I'd rather be those freedom-loving Americans in this country who are unhappy because I still think we can win. Okay. As, 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 as desperate as things are today and as stacked against us as many of these things are, there is still a brilliance in the American people that they will fight and die for human freedom. Yeah. Now, I say that, I say that the, 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 the fighting and dying part, really when it comes to the, the very noble men and women of our military who have demonstrated time and again sure. just a, gr- a great heroism. And so politically in this country, there are a lot of those people who are, you know, running for office. Did I read there's six Navy SEALs and three Green Berets running for Congress this fall or next fall? And there's all sorts of Americans who have joined Republican, not to be partisan, but Republican, you know, central committees around the country. There's all sorts of people running for school boards and city council. Okay. And people are taking an active interest in politics. So, look, as bad as things are, I think the American people see how desperate they are. They see how Joe Biden has been lying to them and they want to get this and they want to get this right. Yeah, but they don't. Again, they don't agree with it. They don't like it. It doesn't taste good. And isn't there an additional factor that you can count with these guys? You can count on these guys for overkill. I mean, yeah, you, you know, they, like they're lining up the parents they, at school board meeting. You know, they're going to overkill. But the reason they do it is because they don't believe it's overkill. They actually believe they're, they're they believe this, and and they're 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 shocked. They're completely shocked when people recoil at at some of some of what they say or a lot of what they say um people are still recoiling at the fact that there's an abandonment of you know the eight or 12 big cities in america there's an abandonment because they're not places where people want to live it's not just housing costs it's 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 everything about it it's not what people want freedom and liberty and opportunity it's not what it's not where they where they can find got it you guys are terrific Thank you very, very much. Any final thoughts, Brian or Joel? I would just say that the American people uh, are really now waking up to the crisis. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that that this podcast is an important vehicle for educating them, I myself am very proud, Bill, of all you're doing. That's kind. Uh, talking Talking to the American people every week because your voice seems to me critical right now more than it ever has been for that sober learned explication of freedom all that that means and why it's worth fighting for you're very kind thank you thank you thank you thank you for what you do you were very welcome thank you for helping and joel thank you for your support as well go ahead and and bill on on cnn msnbc cnbc bloomberg any of these places nobody is going to hear what what you do and what brian just said you you know, there's a million people that watch those shows. There's 330 million people in this country. I mean, it's really an, that's just it's just almost like a rerun of Friends. Understood. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org. Presentdangerchina.org. 
Well, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure this podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. This podcast is growing. Yes, yes. Yes. 